the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Welcome to Plan Your Estate Radio with your host, San Jose Estate Planning Attorney Bob Bergman. Bob's been practicing law for over 30 years and is certified by the State Bar of California as a legal specialist in estate planning trust and probate law. Bob is here to help you set your house in order with valuable insights you can use today to prepare a better tomorrow for your loved ones. And now your host for Plan Your Estate Radio, Attorney Bob Bergman. Good afternoon to the San Francisco Bay Area. This is Attorney Bob Bergman, host of Plan Your Estate Radio, broadcasting from my palatial law office in San Jose, California. Yes, that's meant to be sarcastic. A very simple office here in San Jose. Uh, No marble floors, no works of art hanging on the wall, except for the works of art that are pictures of my two daughters. And I consider them to be the greatest, some of the greatest work I've done in my life is these two daughters that I have. Um, They are the joy of my life. They're what gets me up in the morning and gets me coming into work and continuing to work because I want to make sure they're raised properly. They have everything they need to get a good start in life. And, um, and I'm willing to do that and keep working as long as it takes to get that done. So today I'm going to jump into the show. I will let you know that it is possible to call in and ask questions on the air if you'd like. The number is 800-516-1220. And if you go ahead and call that number, uh, my engineer uh, will be standing by to take your calls. So let me know that you're on the line. And then... Uh, As soon as I get a a break in something, we'll switch over and talk to you on the air, 800-516-1220. Now, um, I'm going to jump right into the show today with questions and comments from around the state of California. And just to explain what that means is, I get a constant stream of legal situations involving estates and wills and trusts and inheritance and things like that to come into my uh, into my email into a special inbox in my Outlook, and it's situations from all over the state of California that people are in, and they're looking for advice from attorneys like me. Now I know there's plenty of attorneys that are answering questions for for the people where they post them, but instead what I've done is I've taken the questions. And I'm going to be sharing them here with you, the audience, in the hope that it will help you to be better educated about estate planning, wills and trusts and probate and conservatorship and things like that. And that in doing that, you'll be able to better understand if you're in a situation that might need the assistance of an attorney such as myself. So here's one. Uh, dealing with 
a subject that's near and dear to my heart, um, commercial banks. Out of San Francisco, this person says, excuse me, if I have a trust and a bank account in the name of my trust and the bank requires me to list the trust beneficiaries, do I need to include every beneficiary mentioned in the trust instrument or just the successor trustee? It's unclear if one post-dates or replaces the other. For For instance, does the bank designation overwrite the designations in the trust document? I have a short answer for this person. Find a different bank. Banks have no right asking you to list the beneficiaries of your trust. Because if the trust owns the account at the bank, the only one with authority to access the funds in that account is the trustee of the trust. Now, that may change when you die or become incapacitated. Then there's a successor trustee. Uh, The bank can ask for information about who successor trustees are, but not trust beneficiaries. So either this person asking the question is confusing the bank's request about successor trustees and conflating trustees with beneficiaries of a trust. But if the bank is actually asking for asking for a list of beneficiaries, it's none of their darn business who the beneficiaries of your trust are. That's private. The reason why we do living trust, one of them is to keep it private so that prying eyes don't know who our beneficiaries are and how we want things to be distributed to them. So in a case like that, that's kind of an easy one. Go to a different bank, tell them you're not going to do business with them because they're asking for confidential information that's really none of their business. Now, here's a question out of Santa Barbara, California. And the person says, uh, my parent, who sadly recently passed away, owned a house in the UK. My parent was a citizen of the UK but lived here in the U.S. and did not have a will or trust. Is it possible to go through probate in the U.K. rather than here in California? Well, the short answer is, first of all, you're going to have to go through probate in the U.K. because there is real estate owned in the U.K. And the U.K. laws get to decide how that real estate is Uh, processed and turned over to the heirs. If there was no will or trust, it's going to be the heirs under the laws of intestate succession in the United Kingdom. If the parent owned real estate here in California, or, or if no real estate had assets here in California in their name or payable to their estate, uh, greater than 100 $65,200, then that will trigger the need for a probate here in California. So there may actually be two probates that take place. Now, as an aside, I'm actually handling a probate here in California right now where all of the beneficiaries 
are the surviving spouse and children, and they all live in the U.K. Um, So the person lived here, had property here. We're doing a probate here. But in a similar fashion, if someone lived in the U.K. and owned a house here in California, if they didn't have a will, um, they would have to go through probate here in California. So the short answer is it depends. <laughs> um, certainly in the UK, a probate, unless they have some special law that permits transfer of the property without a full probate. Here in California, possibly a probate, depending on uh, how much uh, value of property or other assets were in the name of the person when they died uh, or payable to their estate here in California when they died. Okay, out of Corona, California. My in-laws own two homes in Southern California. My husband and I are in their wills to inherit those homes. The approximate value of each is currently around $3 million. My father-in-law is terribly concerned that we'll have to pay capital gains on those upon inheriting them. From what I've read over the past few weeks, it's that until we decide to sell, there are no capital gains. And uh, the value is revalued when they pass away. What's called a step up in cost basis, by the way. The way it makes sense in my mind is that at that point, we zero out on equity, meaning there's no taxable gain. If we choose to immediately sell, we'll pay tax on our profit, which we minimal if we sold right away. Is that thinking correct? Yes, that's absolutely correct. There's a step up in basis, assuming that it's been titled correctly, and uh, you'll be able to sell it right away and probably not net out more than what the new fair market value was on the date of death of the surviving in-law. So this is the first break coming up. This is Bob Bergman. See you on the other side of the break. This is Plan Your Estate Radio with San Jose estate planning attorney Bob Bergman on AM 1220 KDOW. Hi, welcome back to the show. I'm going to continue with more questions and comments from around the state of California. And next we're going to go uh, to my, uh, my own town of San Jose, California. Big shout out to my San Jose uh, uh, citizens and, and listeners. Okay, now this is kind of an interesting one. Um, I don't know if it's so much an estate planning question, but um, let's still kind of field it that way. says, my brother never knew his wife was still married, and she insisted they get married. Meanwhile, he had brain lymphoma when they were married. Now she's putting her name on his properties. He has several. Can his sister, meaning his family, sue his wife? Um, can you sue your brother's wife for bigamy? Well, let's uh, let's kind of uh, unwrap this. First of all, if the brother's wife was in fact still married, and then they got married, and she didn't tell him that she was still married, she has committed bigamy. And I would refer that matter 
um, to the district attorney's office um, to prosecute for bigamy. Um, the the brother, uh, I don't know if the brother's still alive or not. It's not clear from this. I don't know how his his false wife is somehow putting her name on his properties. If he owns properties, he would have to be signing documents to do that. Uh, or she would have had to have a, a, a specific kind of power of attorney to do that. Um, but uh, but the bottom line is um, the the family might possibly be able to go to court uh, to sue to have the marriage declared um, a nullity, meaning uh, null and void, and uh, and any action taken by the wife who is a bigamist uh, canceled and reversed. It, it it could be a really tough fight here, though. But uh, in a situation like that, I would say, first of all, if the brother is still uh, is still competent, having brain lymphoma, I don't know if that means he's he's uh, competent or maybe he's incompetent now. But it may very well be that the family needs to go to court to establish a conservatorship over the brother. And then they would have the conservator would have the right to file a lawsuit to have the marriage annulled and any actions taken by uh, the fake wife uh, have those reversed. Um, But it's not something that's going to happen instantly. I would certainly start by going and filing a formal complaint with the district attorney because they're the ones that can prosecute. And in the course of prosecution, they might be able to actually get uh, commitment from the fake wife to sign properties back over. Uh, and and also cooperate in having the marriage to, uh, annulled because it's not a valid marriage uh, in return for not being prosecuted and perhaps um, become now um, a convicted felon. So uh, kind of an interesting situation. You know, stuff like that does happen. It wouldn't be the first time that someone lied about their marriage status and got married. Um, I have, uh, uh, well, I won't share that story because I don't know if it, I wouldn't be using any names or anything, but but still there's someone out there in this area that might know from a description of the story who I'm talking about. So I'm, I'm going to drop that. But um, this kind of situation does come up now and then where people are married more than once uh, sometimes people get married again and they don't realize their first marriage was not ended properly um, by a court or they assumed it was all taken care of, but the final paperwork was never signed or never filed. And so there's been no order of dissolution of the prior marriage. Stuff can happen. Uh, but here it sounds like it was absolutely intentional on the part of the fake wife uh, to to lie to this man and get him to marry her looks like for the purpose of getting a hold of his assets because he was um, he was dying and um, if he already has died then it may be actually uh, going to court uh, starting a probate for his estate 
and and uh, going in and challenging the actions taken by the fake wife uh, to try and get the property back into his estate so it can go to his family and not to the wife that is not a legal wife. Okay, out of Long Beach, California. Says, uh, my mother passed away in 2021, had a life insurance policy. She had my father as primary beneficiary, but he died in 2020. We found out she has no contingent beneficiary in her life insurance policy. Will her children get the money from the insurance? The answer is likely yes, because a typical insurance policy will provide that if someone dies and their named or designated beneficiary is not living at that time, that the insurance proceeds will be paid to the estate of the person whose life was insured. And the estate means the probate estate, subject to probate. Now, if the proceeds are under the magic number, the $165,200 or $250 rather, that um, that triggers a probate, then that means the children would probably be able to do an affidavit of small estate value, deliver that to the insurance company, all of them sign off saying we're the children, there's no will, there will be there's no probate, there will be no probate. That's assuming that there were not other assets that would trigger probate. Um, but other than that, there would be a probate to collect the proceeds of that insurance and the probate would have it turned over to um, her closest, the mother's closest living relatives, starting with children. So it would be divided between the children. That's likely the likely result right there. Kind of uh, dovetailing on that. Here's someone who said uh, their mother died last year with no will. She owned a house that had a mortgage. I'm her only child. She wasn't married. The deed's under her name. Uh, there have been tenants in a long time. Doesn't really matter. Do I need to hire a probate attorney or are there some forms I can do myself? You're going to need to go to probate to transfer that house to you. Um, and uh, it, here he said the mortgage, uh, with the mortgage, the house is only worth about $150,000. But that is the net amount in probate. It's the gross market value of a property, not the net. So it's going to take probate for this person to actually get mom's house transferred to the child. We're coming up on the mid-show break. And uh, after the break, I'll continue with more questions and comments from around the state of California. This is attorney Bob Bergman, host of Plan Your Estate Radio. And I'll talk with you for the second half of our show in a few minutes. Now, back to Plan Your Estate Radio with attorney Bob Bergman. Hi, welcome back. I'm going to continue with more questions and comments from around the state of California. And uh, next we'll go to um, um, a question out of San Diego, California. And uh, the person asks uh, the following. Um person dies with a trust, first successor dies in 45 days, 
does the person's trust roll into the first successor's estate? Now, let me explain. Just reading the question, it sounds like what someone is actually talking about is not um, a first successor, but someone who is the uh, who is the first named beneficiary of the trust. So let's just clarify that. And the question is, um, you leave everything to John. Um, and if John's not alive, then it goes to Jane. Uh, but John dies in 45 days. And presumably that means within 45 days of the original owner of the trust. So the question is, uh, what happens if John dies within 45 days? And the answer is, it completely depends on what the trust says. Uh, some trusts actually have a survivorship provision. And uh, what that means is, they actually say in there uh, that a person has to survive for a certain number of days before their interest from the trust vests, meaning that it's now permanently part of their estate. And, uh, and even if they died shortly after that time period, it's going to be paid now to their estate, which means to their probate estate. Uh, rather than being paid uh, to the next beneficiary or beneficiaries in line. Um, that is something that has to be written into a trust document. It's not an automatic thing. And, uh, and, uh, and I sometimes do put that in there because it kind of doesn't make sense if, if the, the first beneficiary is, is in a car crash with the owner of the trust and they both die um, and you can't tell which one of them died first because it was an accident and when the police arrive or the, the ambulance arrives, both people are dead and you can't tell if this person survived. Well, if there's a survivorship provision that says they had to have survived for 15 days, 30 days, 45 days, whatever it is, after the death of the owner of the trust, well, then, clearly, they didn't survive that time because uh, they died either just before or at the same time or just after. Um, and so what it does is it can actually simplify or get rid of perhaps some unnecessary uh, unnecessary administration um, because someone has to actually survive. And uh, a common thing would be if you say, you know, I leave ha half of everything to my son John, otherwise to his descendants, uh, either by right of representation or per stirpes, which are different types of distributions. And uh, But then John dies 10 days after his mom dies, we wouldn't really want to have to have mom's property go through John's probate estate to get to his children, the grandchildren. If there was a survivorship provision, it would mean that the trustee could now pay John's 50% instead to his children without having to go through the additional step of going through John's probate estate. 
So that's why you might see something like that in a trust. You'll often see something like that in a will as well if someone just has a will, a uh, survivorship provision, uh, because there there is really no presumption. Uh, some states have a survivorship presumption in their laws. Someone has to survive for a certain amount of time unless you modify that in your document to reflect um, some longer time, for example, or or no time. But in California, you have to kind of write that into estate planning documents. Okay, here's one that looks like it might be uh, really entertaining for the family to deal with, and I'm being a little sarcastic there. Apple Valley, California. My father's passed away, no will. I'm next of kin. So that means that this is the child. The father died, had no plan, so this child is the intestate heir, meaning intestate, meaning no will. His girlfriend, whom he was not legally bound to, is holding the estate hostage and living in the house, not allowing anyone in to claim any of his belongings, and is selling my father's belongings um, on uh, through Facebook. All right, here's what I would say. You need to immediately go to court, petition the court to be appointed as the executor, or rather the administrator of your father's estate. You might also have to petition, and you're going to need an attorney for this, uh, petition the court for some authority uh, ahead of time to uh, to take actions to stop the girlfriend from um, doing what she's doing. Uh, the girlfriend doing this and selling belongings, she's subjecting herself to being sued by the estate uh, for the return of, of the monies that she gained by selling the father's belongings. And, uh, and since it's being done on Facebook, you'd be able to track on Facebook and maybe even find out uh, who answered that uh, who responded, who she sold things to. Um, but, but the point is, you need to immediately go in, and there might be even some way on an emergency basis to, uh, to have, um, have the girlfriend stopped legally so if she continues acting the way she is, she could actually be subject to contempt of court charges, which are not a laughing matter. But uh, But... You're probably going to have to get authority from the court to take over the father's estate and then evict the girlfriend from the property because she's what's called a tenant at will now. She's already in the property. She's been living in the property. She can stay there until you can evict her unless she voluntarily moves out. So, uh, like I said, it's going to be a, quote, fun situation to deal with that. And I can guarantee it's not an uncommon situation. Um, And even if the father had made a will, it wouldn't make it any different. If the father had a trust and, and had put the property in a trust with the child taking over a successor trustee, the child could take over and start eviction proceedings, uh, given notice to, to quit, which is a notice to leave the property and start an eviction right away. 
as it is, depending on how much time it gets into court up there in the the county where Apple Valley is located. I'm not sure exactly which county that is. I'm pretty sure it's a mountain county here in California. There's a number of those, and they tend to be small. You might be able to get into court pretty quickly uh, because smaller counties tend to not have heavy, heavy court schedules, but still you're going to have to go to court to get that done. And this is uh, yet another reason why people should consider setting up trusts and putting their property in trust so that a situation like this does not arise. And if the father wanted his girlfriend to be able to live in the house, a trust is the way to do that too, providing guidelines for how can you live in the house, who's going to be responsible for paying for things like property taxes and insurance and maintenance and utilities and all that. This is not something to leave to chance, but I can guarantee a lot of people leave it to chance and a lot of families end up in a situation like I've just described. I mean, if you're in a situation like that here in Santa Clara County um, and you're going to need to do a probate, you might want to give me a call. Um, I can at least get the probate started and then uh, I could e- perhaps even engage the services of a a colleague that does litigation matters uh, to go into court um, quickly and try to get uh, some action taken more quickly without waiting for probate. It would probably be taking two and a half months right now to get into court to get an order for probate, which would then have letters issued by the court giving authority to the administrator or executor, if there's a will, and uh, and then to take start taking legal action. So you're you're still probably looking at three and a half or four months to actually get the person out of the property, and that's because the father did not do proper planning, and that's a shame. Okay, here's someone says there's a professional fiduciary in charge of my late mother's trust. I noticed online that taxes for all of her properties have been paid late. For the past three years, even though there's money available in the trust, is the isn't there, isn't it irresponsible for a business to incur late fees? How do I get her to pay this year's taxes on time? She doesn't ignore my letters, but she does ignore certain requests if she doesn't want to provide an answer. I would say, first of all, the fiduciary might be personally liable for the failure to pay the taxes and actually triggering late fees for the trust because. If there's funds available, the trustee has the responsibility to follow through with that. You might actually have to go to court. This is in San Diego County. Might actually have to go to court and ask the court to remove the trustee because the trustee is non-responsive and also because the trustee uh, is actually not taking care of business in a proper way. Okay, we're coming up on the third break of the show today. When we come back, I'll take her home. On Plan Your State Radio, this is attorney Bob Bergman. Now, back to Plan Your Estate Radio. Once again, your host, estate planning trust and probate law specialist, attorney Bob Bergman. Hi, welcome back. So, um, we're in the last segment of the show today, and I thought I would... uh, finish up with a number of different um, questions and comments from around the state of California. I've got a few left, and I may talk 
at some length on at least one of them. So um, moving on here, we've got um, we've got this one out of El Centro, California, and uh, it, it's kind of a difficult one. Person said, "I've lived in my grandfather's house for over 20 years." He passed away. All of his assets are in a family trust. My aunt is the trustee of the trust, but she and my mother have um, 50-50 interest now in the property, uh, in his properties, his assets. My grandfather always told me, and I have witnesses that he told me in front of, that the house is mine and I can live there forever if I wish to. My aunt is evicting me and won't let us see my grandfather's will, presumably will or trust, to see what's what. Can she legally kick me out? Well, the short answer is, if she's the successor trustee and you're in your grandfather's house and you don't have a verifiable written right to be there, either because you have a rental agreement or or because you have proof that the property was left to you or the right to live in it was was made to you, uh, then, yes, you can be evicted. Uh, the question becomes whether or not there's enough evidence to uh, to go to court and maybe have what's called a constructive trust imposed on the property. I think it would be very, very difficult, even if you have witnesses, because unless your grandfather actually put something down in writing, um, kind of witness testimony about uh, something that goes directly contrary to a written document, such as a trust, uh, probably not going to carry much weight with a court. So I don't know that this person really has much recourse at all, uh, they're probably going to end up being evicted. And uh, uh, really, again, this points out another reason uh, why you want to do proper estate planning. If grandpa told his grandson, you can live here as long as you want, then grandpa should have made darn sure that he put that information in his estate plan. Uh, and now what's happening is, his uh, his daughter, this person's aunt, is evicting him, and that's because he has no uh, verifiable right to actually be in the property, and that's that's a uh, that's a problem right there. Okay, question: Can I sell a home? Um. My mother passed away. Her home was in a trust. The successor trustees are my brother and myself, named as co-trustees. My brother gets 65% of the property, and I have 35%. I want to sell the home, claim my 35% to move away because of the following problem. Uh, first of all, my brother had access to my mother's bank account, closed it, claimed there was nothing in there. He's hidden important paperwork, refuses to show me statements, property taxes, receipts, gave himself her car, sold personal belongings. Um, he is bullying, and he's been a nightmare to live with. 
Uh, he's a hoarder. It's a, you, you get the point. It's a really, really bad news and bad to stay in this relationship. The answer is pretty much yes. And I've talked about this on the show before. It's called a partition action. This person, if the brother refuses to sell the house voluntarily, then this person can go to court and ask the court to order the house sold so that um, so that uh, you don't have to stay owning this property with the brother. You don't have to stay living there. And it will be sold by court order. And then you can get your 35% and your brother gets his 65% unless he can figure out a way to buy you out uh, before um, before the house is sold. Uh, but yeah, you don't have to stay, quote, married with your brother just because you both inherited a property from your mother. Um, and so that would be kind of the short answer for there. Yes, it is in fact possible uh, to get out of that situation. Uh, and if it's not voluntarily, you can go to court and have the court order the sale of the property. Now, I want to let you all know again before the show's over today, go to the Howard Jarvis Taxpayers Association. Click on the flashing button so that you can get a copy of the petition and maybe even do more. Uh, they're gathering signatures to put a repeal of the second half of Proposition 19 on the November ballot. That's the one that seriously impacts families that want to leave a family home or rental properties to their children without having uh, property taxes uh, often shoot through the roof and go up by hundreds and hundreds of percents. Um, and so do that. Howard Jarvis Taxpayers Association, hjta.org. Um, so we're done with the show today, and I want to let you know that until next week, this is Attorney Bob Bergman, host of Plan Your State Radio, and I hope you all have a great productive and nice weather weekend. Goodbye. You've been listening to Plan Your Estate Radio with estate planning attorney Bob Bergman. For more information on today's program or to schedule a consultation, visit lawbob.com. L-A-W-B-O-B, lawbob.com. Or call his office in San Jose. 408-247-0444. That's 408-247-0444. And be sure to tune in next week for more Plan Your Estate Radio with attorney Bob Bergman. Opinions expressed in the preceding program do not necessarily represent the views of the ownership, staff, or management of this station and are for informational purposes only and should not be construed to be legal, financial, or tax advice. Seek appropriate legal advice regarding your particular situation. Attorney Bob Bergman does not offer any guarantees with regard to the outcome of your legal matter. Prior results in other cases do not guarantee a similar outcome in your case. All rights reserved. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. 
with in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com, salemnow.com.